Welcome to episode 123 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government on the 5th of July, the date on which we traditionally celebrate uh, not only our freedom, but the freedom of at least one presidential candidate from prosecution. Uh, our... Uh, Guest interview uh, uh, this week is going to be delayed. It's going to be with Will Hurd uh, of Texas, uh, uh, currently serving as the chairman of the Oversight and Government Reform Committee uh, Subcommittee on IT. Um, uh, I've said this before. I, I promised you that uh, we'd do the news roundup and then later we'd uh, interview Will Hurd. I did interview Will Hurd. It was a great interview. Uh, I managed to uh, uh, put the... Uh, um, recorder on a setting that uh, meant that it didn't record any of it. So we're, I'm going to try that again uh, uh, later this week, uh, and we'll uh, put the interview out separately from the news roundup. Uh, uh, I'm joined today by Alan Cohn, formerly head of strategy for DHS, uh, second in charge at the uh, DHS policy office, now of counsel to Stepto. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, and want to wish everyone a happy post our government's Brexit day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, we should have called it that, right? Uh, there was a hashtag trending on Twitter. So. Uh, exactly, yeah. Uh, and uh, Katie Castle, who's uh, an attorney in our International Regulatory Compliance Group. Uh, welcome, Katie. Uh, sure. Katie's been doing nothing but cybersecurity and related work uh, uh, for the last two years, something like that, right? Yeah, yep. uh, also by uh, Maury Schenk, uh, formerly our managing partner in our London office and still our uh, go-to London lawyer for uh, European technology and cybersecurity issues. Uh, welcome, Maury. Thanks, Stuart, and I'm really happy about that earlier Brexit since I have two passports, and I wouldn't want to have just a British passport at the moment. <laughs> I guess that's right. Well, Brexit would be considerably more potent if uh, uh, we were still part of the U.K., I'm sure. Okay. Correct. I'm Stuart Baker, uh, formerly with NSA and DHS, and uh, holding the record for returning to Stepto to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Uh, we got a lot to cover in the uh, uh, news roundup, so I thought we ought to just jump right in. Um, the Bank for International Settlements is this shadowy sort of uh, regulatory uh, uh, organization uh, in Switzerland uh, um, a, that has done a variety of uh, um, uh, regulatory proposals with respect to uh, uh, cybersecurity. Uh, and um, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to hear uh, uh, what the Bank for International Settlements is actually proposing. Sure. So um, they've come out with this cybersecurity guidance that is um, you know, aimed at uh, ensuring the stability of the financial system if there was a cyber attack. Um, and so the, most of the guidance is pretty high level. They've separated it into five main principles, uh, governance, identification, protection, detection, and response and recovery. So the usual, the standard five uh, uh, things that we're supposed to do at the very highest level, and then probably under that there's a little bit of guidance. And right. Is that pretty much it? Right. The, the one really, I think, notable guideline is that they are asking the financial uh, market infrastructures to have ready um, – 
resumption within two hours, they call it, which oh, is okay. if there's some sort of disruption or attack that they're able to put their systems back li- back online within two hours, um, which seems well, so pretty I, I, I actually thought this, um, while, you know, saying it's just the standard five items is, is accurate, uh, uh, this was a pretty thoughtful set of guidelines, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I think that, that in addition to, to going through the, the basic cycle, the, the bank here does make some some pretty interesting statements. I mean, so in the governance area, it, it calls for a cyber resilience framework. Everybody calls for a cyber right. resilience framework, but it also you know makes the statement that board and the board of directors and senior management are ultimately responsible for both setting and overseeing the framework. Right. Um, and and tells uh, banks to designate a senior executive accountable for its execution, et cetera. I mean, that's a that is a statement. That's yeah, it's, it's, worth it's making, not, and it's not it's just an pablum, although it's close. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, but I, you know, actually, what I was interested in was there was a significant section saying you really need to subscribe to a whole bunch of threat intelligence uh, uh, systems uh, and reporting uh, uh, sources, uh, um, which I, I completely agree with. But I, it's the first time I've seen it in sort of standard uh, advice. Yes, it's interesting when we construct our you know, and we have our checklist that we'll walk through with someone. Um, we have that included, but it's because it's, you know, on the edges of different statements um, that folks that, you know, different regulatory or guidance agencies have said here in the in the U.S. It's it's much more of a, it's a much stronger statement to say that you really need to be participating in these and you need to be participating in them on both a, you know, and not only on a on a cross industry or across government or cross border uh, you know, platform, but all of those. You need to be looking at, at participating in, in, in all of those types of platforms. So it, it, it looks as though threat intelligence as an element of defense has pretty much uh, become mainstream. It's it's now part of the, the, the conventional wisdom that you need to do that. I mean, I think that's right. Uh, the the report places that on the same level as, uh, as you know, pen testing and vulnerability assessments as well as training and exercises. So I think that that's right. All right. Well, um, the European Union uh, and the U.S., have gone back and had another set of negotiations after some uh, grousing from the uh, uh, European uh, Parliament. Uh, And uh, I was struck by the fact that they're uh, essentially, as the result of all that whining, is that Bob Litt, uh, the general counsel of the director of National Intelligence Office, uh, delivers 18 pages of assurances and descriptions of how we gather intelligence, all of which are going to be treated as enforceable promises by the European Parliament for the European Commission, for that matter, for the future, uh, which I have to say doesn't strike me as a really great idea, uh, especially because, you know, the... uh, the Obama presidency's contribution to this is a whole is a PPD 28, which is full of additional limits on the intelligence community. Uh, and uh, uh, this letter sort of highlights PPD 28 and locks it in as uh, what uh, what was just the brainstorm of uh, uh, the DNI and the president is now going to become a, an international obligation that the United States has accepted. And potentially one that is, uh, thank you very much, still not sufficient. What else do you have to offer? Oh, that's right. No, of course. this is uh, 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 They've never quite figured out 
that the European Commission wants the process more than they want the solution. And uh, uh, you have to make the process as painful as possible for them just to get to a solution, uh, which they have failed to do. Uh, uh, the only good news coming out of Europe that I saw, and Maury, I'll be uh, eager for your comments on this, is that uh, uh, the Europocracy uh uh, campaign, prize campaign, which uh, uh, I'm proud to say I'm one of the organizers of, uh, seeking to get uh, all of Europe's other trading partners uh, to run through the Schrems mill and forced to justify uh, the adequacy of their human rights protections in, in processing data, uh, has actually gotten a little bit of traction in Europe. Uh, European People's Party, which is the biggest uh, and by and large the most mainstream conservative uh, 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 party in Parliament. I had three or four members who asked a question. We haven't gotten an answer yet, but they said, uh, we're going to ask this question. Uh, uh, we, we are sending all this data to China, uh, uh, and there's no adequacy finding. Uh, how the hell does the commission justify letting all that data go, and when are you going to fix it? Uh, uh, I, I, too, will be interested in seeing what the commission's answer to that is. Well, I, I think legally it falls under the same framework that, fall, that applies to any other country, including the United States at the moment, that doesn't have an adequacy finding, which is there are various ways to do it. You can get user consent. You can use the model contract clauses. You can use binding corporate rules. And the work uh, Article 29 Working Party has raised some questions about how that applies, you know, whether those are okay for the United States. And you've pointed out before, Stuart, that that's, ridiculous, you know, not being applied to other countries like China. And, and now those questions are being asked. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great thing. And, and for those who have not heard about the Europocracy Prize, uh, it is a tax-deductible uh, crowdfunded prize, <coughs> which seeks to give a $10,000 prize to the first person who successfully brings uh, um, Schrems-type actions against the uh, principal trading partners other than the United States of the European Union. Um, since I'm sure that uh, a little inquiry into the data uh, processing uh, practices of Algeria, Saudi Arabia, uh, Russia, and China would be edifying for all concerned. So uh, if you're looking for something to do with uh, um, extra funds, uh, uh, go visit the Indiegogo site, generosity.org, and uh, make a contribution. We've already got... $600 pledged, and we're hoping to uh, raise more. Um, more good news, actually, out of Belgium. Uh, uh, the Belgian courts have hosed down the Belgian privacy authorities uh, uh, who had uh, uh, gone after Facebook on the grounds that they shouldn't be tracking non-users of Facebook. Uh, and uh, if I understand it right, they, uh, the courts said... Uh, why is the Belgian authority looking at this when the Irish authorities are actually the principal data protection contact for Facebook? Is that right, Maureen? Yeah, that's my understanding. And it's an interesting, you know, it's interesting that the Belgian courts are being robust about this. We had in the Google right to be forgotten decision, jurisdiction over Google, over their Spanish advertising arm, even all this, even though all the search tech happens in California. Um, and uh, this is a limiting reading. So, um, you know, interest. it will be interesting to see where this goes from here. I don't think that this 
approach will hold everywhere in Europe for every privacy decision against the big Internet companies. No, but it's, it's a promising decision. Yeah, it is, it is promising to see uh, that uh, not every rule gets thrown out when you're talking about uh, big U.S. tech companies uh, in Europe. Um, yep. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency um, continues to – they've done some interesting things uh, some and pretty sophisticated things with data. Um, one thing they've started to do, uh, Alan, I, I noticed is this. They are now asking people who are applying to come to the United States under the VWP program – to voluntarily submit their Twitter handles and social media um, uh, uh, identifiers, uh, uh, presumably so that uh, CBP can do a check of what you've been saying uh, on social media. Yes. So this is a change to the uh, the visa waiver program reporting process. And for just as a recap, the visa waiver program allows individuals from designated countries to enter the U.S. without a visa, uh, but however, due to the efforts of your podcast host, Stuart Baker, uh, while he was Assistant Secretary for Policy at DHS, travelers from those co- those visa waiver program countries need to complete what's called an electronic system of travel authorization, or ESTA form, on, the compu- on their computer mm-hmm. before departing for the U.S. Um, so this change adds a new question to the ESTA and to the I-94W form, uh, which those travelers use. Um, and it states, please enter information associated with your online presence, provider platform, social media identifier. And this is an optional data field. So on the so one why hand, why would somebody fill it out? Well, so yeah, so you have kind of two perspectives on it. One, our, our frequent guest Paul Rosenzweig wrote in a recent Lawfare post that because of the new social media inquiry would be self-reported, any self-respecting terrorist could just create a false account, claim to have no account, or simply not answer. But on the other hand, the Federal Register notice could essentially be seen as basically notice that social media accounts, whether they're disclosed or not, uh, are going to be checked as part of the visa waiver mm-hmm. program and the ESTA process. So if you don't uh, and they have checked and found you, then you're going to be in for some awkward questions. Exactly. Now, it's not going to be a violation of the, the ESTA program. Uh, but it's going to be additional context for your um, your visit with the the CBP personnel. This is probably not sustainable as the long term position, but it may be that in the long term uh, it'll be required to uh, to say who are you in cyberspace. Uh, um, it's my impression that they've already started to essentially require people to waive their uh, their privacy rights if they are applying for. Um, uh, application for uh, refugee status to the U.S. Uh, uh, since that's a particularly hot uh, uh, political issue and there are some real security issues. So we may start to see that uh, or we may see that uh, eventually. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we're going to see that just become part of the standard package of things that's evaluated for, for people of interest or for people seeking to travel to the U.S. All right. Uh, well, that's, uh, and, and so CBP has also, uh, speaking of this form I-94, uh, uh, launched a mobile passport app. app. I have, d- uh, downloaded it but haven't used it. But the idea is you have this app on your smartphone. You can fill out the customs form that you usually don't have a pen to fill out when you're uh, flying back uh, and completely sleep-deprived. Uh, uh, you fill it out uh, uh, and then 
you can just walk up to a kiosk and uh, uh, download the information without ever having to uh, fill out a form, which is probably good for the U.S. government, which doesn't have to type in the concept of the, all that data. Or store the form yes. in its paper form. So, yes, no, it's kind of win-win all over, and it c- continues uh, CBP's kind of um, forward-leaning posture on, it, on using technology uh, to make uh, the entry uh, process much easier. Of course, global entry is the the It uh, is, the but you know, I, they, they've also got those kiosks now where you don't have to be global entry, but uh, like dozens of kiosks where you just uh, put your passport down and stand in front of the uh, uh, screen to have your picture taken. Uh, um, I used that coming back from Spain with my uh, nine-year-old for this successful hike that we took, uh, and I have one complaint for CBP. Nine-year-olds are too short to fit in the little picture. I had to lift him up uh, right. uh, just to squeeze him into the picture. He got more of me than him. Right. So, no, we, we went ahead and enrolled our kids in Global Entry, which you can do, and it's a great thing both for Global Entry and for PreCheck. But for this particular application, this is for folks who either don't have PreCheck or, as you said, you're traveling with somebody who doesn't travel out of the country a lot. Um, and it basically allows you to, just to speed and automate that process of filling out the form and then submitting it. You still have to travel with your real passport, um, and you'll still have that brief customs interview as opposed to global entry where they've already done uh, a lot of that beforehand. Um, But it's a great uh, addition, and it's again, it's win-win all around. Um, It was developed by CBP with the Airports Council International in conjunction with our friends uh, Hans Miller and uh, and Airside Mobile, Um, and it's paid for. Uh, by sponsors, so including oh, Boeing uh, and others, <laughs> so it's you know it's win-win. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose all that that means that uh, I'm going to get uh, a variety of ads based on my travel patterns. Yeah, you may. So here's here's uh, I have only one tech tip for CBP. Uh, there is this thing called stool. And if they just put a few stools around, even the nine-year-olds would end up with their <laughs> pictures uh, in the square there they're supposed to be. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you say that because I thought you were suggesting another ma- manner of submitting samples. To <laughs> that, that I don't think that's such DNA. a good idea. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're not going to go there, right? although you already have. I appreciate that. Uh, so here's, here's really good news, uh, a kind of – uh, deeply satisfying. Uh, uh, Snowden has been outed as a Russian stooge by the Russians. Uh, now, this is after he denounced a uh, Kremlin bill that was proposing uh, a variety of mass collection of data, and he tweeted that uh, mass collection of data never works. It's always a bad idea. This is an unworkable, dangerous uh, uh, bill, and it shouldn't be signed. Uh, uh, responding to people who've been saying, hey, come on, you're, you're sitting right there, and you got nothing to say about this mass collection after criticizing mass collection everywhere else in the world. So he responds to that, and a week later, uh, a Duma member who uh, um, oversees uh, the Defense Department uh, at uh, um, in Russia uh, says, "Well, uh, you know, 
we all have to admit he, of course, he shared information. That's what intelligence agents do, um, and uh, built the German uh, uh, magazine, uh, uh, wrote it up, or at least there was an opinion piece in Built saying, uh, "Well, I think the uh, uh, it's obvious now that even the Russians see him as a Russian asset." Uh, uh, so it's nice to see that he actually had the courage of his convictions, uh, and it's not the least bit surprising that the Russians punished him for exercising those uh, those principles. Uh, all right, the FTC, speaking of, uh, of uh, acting in character, the FTC's commissioners continue their campaign of nanny, nanny, boo-boo, we're better at uh, uh, privacy regulation than you are when they're talking to the FCC. Is this uh, Maureen Olhausen, the Republican commissioner, has uh, uh, given a speech saying, Uh, uh, yo, FCC, just do what we do and stop trying to invent a a new method of privacy regulation. That's right, Stuart. Um, She gave the speech last week, I think, and it's probably her third or so speech where she's criticized these um, FCC rules, and the criticisms mainly appear to be the same. The the FTC's uh, case-by-case reasonableness approach is more flexible and better than the FCC's approach, which, you know, tries to set some general cybersecurity standards and um, different parts of the regulation, the opt-in, things like that, are both overprotective and underprotective um, because it's not based on the sensitivity of data and just that the regulation itself is just not flexible enough to give businesses the room to... Um, protect the data based on their size and their right. flexibility. Giving business room. I'm right. sure that's what the FTC yep. has in mind when they when they refuse to the, sell us what their security standards are. It's to give business room to make the right decisions, as opposed to to give the uh, FTC the ability to uh, uh, go after anybody they they choose. Apparently, they're going to make the world safe for um, adulterers. Uh, they are apparently are. Uh, uh, investigating Ashley Madison uh, for uh, uh, having fembots that chat people up so that you don't, you think you're engaged in some uh, uh, pre-adultery uh, conversation when you're actually just talking to a bot. And the FTC thinks that's fundamentally unfair. That's the flexibility that, that their regulations allow them uh, to do is to pursue uh, uh, people who engage, uh, who enable false conversations with apparently flirtatious uh, women. Uh, so that will we'll cover, we'll be all over that one, I'm sure. Um, all right. Um, the uh, There's a really interesting fight going on in the Senate now. Uh, electronic communications, uh, uh, technical data, um, uh, I think that's what it uh, is, ECTR, electronic communications, transactional records, sorry. I... Uh, is the stuff, it's basically metadata for your email, uh, uh, to, from, etc. Uh, and uh, that used to be available to the, uh, the FBI with a national security letter. Then the law was rewritten in a way that uh, left it ambiguous whether they got it. And uh, essentially, uh, industry and the Office of uh, Legal Counsel said, yeah, probably better choice is not to allow a national security letter for that massively increased the obligation of the uh, workload of uh, uh, the FISA court and the FISA uh, processors because they had to use 215 orders for this instead. And now there's a kind of 
general consensus in the Senate that something ought to be done on that? Maybe it's the FCC's uh, um, uh, or the FBI's uh, top priority. Um, but we've had at least three runs at that uh, now. Um, there was a freestanding bill that got 59 votes uh, with Diane Feinstein out of town. And since she's a supporter of this, it could get enough to override uh, a, uh, uh, a filibuster, uh, but hasn't. Um, the uh, Intelligence Committee has reported out a uh, intelligence authorization bill that includes restoration of access within NSL to all this data. Uh, and then when the uh, uh, ECPA reform bill came to the Judiciary Committee on the Senate side, uh, uh, the uh, Senator Corn said, uh, hey, uh, I've got an idea. Let's balance this out with a little bit of um, uh, ECTR access uh, for the FBI, which led the enthusiasts for ECPA reform to decide they weren't so enthusiastic after all. So uh, if you're watching Congress, this ECTR issue is going to continue to come back. And at least until the election, my guess is it'll be a constant threat to pass if you're a civil libertarian. Otherwise, uh, uh, it will uh, um, substantially um, reduce the workload of the FISA court and the FISA processors. So uh, that would certainly be good news. Uh, let's see. Um, the ACLU has this weird theory. I, I, I have to say, Alan, I don't understand this. Uh, their argument, if I get it, is Researchers want to download the entire contents of social media and other websites uh, in, in, to process their data in ways they didn't want processed to see if they could find some implicit bias in the uh, in the data so that they could then bring lawsuits against the, the sites. Uh, and the only thing that stands in their way is the fact that it is a felony. Uh, and so they're, they're asking for the courts to declare it's not really a felony if you have the right ACLU-approved motive for scraping the site. Is that right? Well, I guess that's one way of characterizing it. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, at the crux of this of this uh, complaint that the ACLU has brought is the Justice Department's interpretation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act that basically makes it illegal to violate a website's terms of service. And so the plaintiffs in this case are uh, discrimination researchers and a media organization, and they want to do a variety of things that would violate the terms of service, arguably, of a number of different websites. Um, mainly focusing in housing and employment discrimination. So, uh, for example, one set of plaintiffs wants to test housing search websites for discrimination by having an automated program test identical searches using profiles that differ only by race or other protected characteristics. Um, this is a process where an artificial intelligence engine generates fake profiles called uh, what's referred to as sock puppets. Um, yes. And then test them against each other in identical searches. Uh, another set of plaintiffs wants to scrape job search uh, sites uh, to collect data sets, but they also want to create sock puppets to apply for fake jobs that they have themselves created to see if you alter um, different characteristics of the sock puppet, do you score differently against those mm -hmm. fake 
um, job descriptions. Of course, um, the use of the term fake uh, a couple of times indicates that this is all in violation of the terms of service of the websites. Um, what the ACLU is claiming is that by cutting that off, you're violating First and Fifth Amendment rights um, for, uh, you know, to, to do this but investigation, this bring the, cases. The First Amendment rights of the ACLU to grandstand on this issue? Is that the, the, the right that we're cutting off? I'm, I'm, I'm a little puzzled about where the First Amendment right is, unless they're, they're saying we, we have a right to this information, and just because it's private information in private hands shouldn't prevent us from getting it. Well, they're saying that it, it burdens your ability to, uh, to speak freely about, um, on business speech in the sense that um, it 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 burdens your ability to to speak truthfully or factually, I guess, about things that are so that are I've going been on. So I've tweeting for the last year. Uh, every once in a while, there's a guy at the ACLU who, who grouses that the uh, steptoe hasn't uh, put in a pointless HTTPS uh, certificate uh, for people who want to browse our public uh, data. And I said, so I, that's, you're asking us when we're going to do that. I'd like to know what you do about preventing um, data exfiltration uh, from your system by virtue of HTTPS. Uh, most people, most companies break the HTTPS to inspect what's going on to make sure that ex data is not being exfiltrated. Uh, and the ACLU has absolutely refused to answer my question. They're violating my First Amendment rights. I should be able to sue them saying your failure to respond to my question is a violation of my First Amendment rights. Yes, but I think if we just change our terms of service on the website, then they would be, <laughs> we would all be on the same side. They should say, change their terms of service to, to pro protect my rights. Now, but do you think this is just another mechanism to prompt Congress about passing what's called Aaron's Law, uh, the downscope? I don't know. I, mean, I, they, I, I really do think they've got so much money these days that... Uh, um, they're running low on plausible lawsuits to bring and, uh, and looking for new legal fields to conquer, uh, many of which are not particularly promising fields for uh, uh, development. That's, that's my guess, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, all right. Um, China is still moving forward on its cyber uh, law that would, among other things, in the name of privacy, naturally, uh, uh, prevent people from moving data of Chinese nationals outside of China. Um, it's on a second reading, Maury, is that right? Well, it's been they've been talking about this for over a year. It's drawn various criticisms about being difficult for foreign companies to comply with. I guess the focus on Chinese nationals is trying to deal with some of that while being difficult for uh, some Western companies as well. The, the, the Chinese don't hate people criticizing their government, but they really hate people engaging in collective action. And this seems, uh, you know, part cybersecurity and part preventing people from organizing on the Internet. Yep. And uh, did you follow the the other uh, uh, regulatory approach, which kind of came out of nowhere, trying to uh, um, impose discipline on paid search ads uh, and uh, search practices? And Baidu has been very much on its back foot uh, because of a scandal in China, and it looks as though the Chinese authorities are imposing new regulations on how you do search and how you display it. Yeah, that one, that, this one does seem to respond to that scandal, which was about a young man who had a, uh, 
terminal illness and went searching on Baidu for the way to treat it. And before he died, he posted that, you know, the way he had been led by Baidu was a fraud. And this has created kind of a national scandal, which apparently has led to this. So it seems almost a consumer protection kind of thing rather than uh, government control uh, directly, as we're talking about in the cybersecurity law. All right. Well, uh, we're running late, uh, uh, and I, on, under the, um, the, I forget who it was who said, uh, you know, if you sit by the river long enough, sooner or later, the bodies of your enemies will all float by. Uh, I feel that way a little bit about Edward Snowden, but I also, uh, Silent Circle, which was the, uh, super secure military grade crypto that was going to save us all from the National Security Agency and which did all of its marketing based on, oh, you wouldn't want the uh, National Security Agency to hear your stuff, um, is um, has gone from Internet uh, and VC darling to um, uh, bankruptcy bait, uh, according to the latest uh, um, uh, story in the press, uh, kind of confirming my view that notwithstanding every story you see, it is really, really hard to sell security uh, and privacy, and especially to sell it on the ground that you're trying to defeat the United States government, uh, at least uh, um, in the United States. That's just not, notwithstanding all the uh, applause you get in the media, it's just not a market that is really big enough to support uh, uh, the dreams of Silicon Valley libertarians. It does seem like this may be more of an example of... Um more analogous to selling armored limousines in the rest of the world than it is to selling iPhones to the public. Yeah. You have a scaling issue that may be there as well. I think that's exactly right. I, I, and uh, they managed to uh, charge you for a uh, an armored limousine and deliver something that was not that different from a uh, uh, well-secured Android or uh, um, uh, iPhone. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else we, we need to cover? If not, uh, thanks, Alan. Uh, thanks, Katie. Thanks, Maury. Uh, uh, for the audience, uh, please remember that uh, we are still waiting to hear from uh, a, a vast uh, influx of people who are demanding CLE credit for listening to this because otherwise they would hate to have to listen to the whole thing. Uh, if you're interested in CLE credit, uh, uh, it's kind of a pain in the neck for us to figure out what has to be done and then to do it every week. So uh, we need a surge of enthusiasm for it. Uh, if you're enthusiastic about it, send your email to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Uh, um, if you're happy with us as we are, um, go to uh, iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast aggregator and give us a good review or at least five stars. Uh, um, this has been episode 123 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. We hope you'll join us as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government. Mm-hmm.